But there will come a glorious day, says the Lord, when the whole topic of conversation will be that God is bringing his people home from a nation in the north and from many other lands where he has scattered them. You will look back no longer to the time when I rescued you from your slavery in Egypt. That mighty miracle will scarcely be mentioned anymore. Yes, I will bring you back again, says the Lord, to the same land I gave your fathers. Imagine that there's something even better than you might realize. There are many great days, but try comparing them to the one where God pulled his own son out of the darkness and held him up high for all the world to see. For as Matthew and Mark and Luke declare to us, he is risen. And the church said, You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and my mistake that I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moyo was his second best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible no good, very bad day. You know where I got that story from, don't you? If you don't, your children do. It's that great children's book by Judith Vorse called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I've had days like that. You've had days like that. But I wanted to find a book to read to my grace that celebrates good days. I mean, really good days. Have you ever had a wonderful, glorious, no bad, very good day? Surely, that would be the best day ever. I'm curious, what would count as the best day ever? And I don't just mean for you, I mean for everyone. A couple years ago, a preacher by the name of Sam Wells, who preaches in London, did a sermon in which he searched for the best day ever. And rereading that inspired me to go through the same exercise with you this morning. I'm curious, what would count as the best day ever? Pick a day, and I bet you scripture agrees with your high estimation. I mean, surely... We'd want to start with the idea of creation, wouldn't we? And you're saying to yourself, well, I'm sorry, uh, you're a preacher. You should know that was seven days. Nope. 
Genesis 2 and verse 4 at least gives me the metaphor I'm looking for because you understand you could pick the very first day of creation with the light or you could pick the sixth day where humans come onto the scene or you could pick some day before the days when God announces his plans to create. Any of those would work. But in Genesis 2, 4, to summarize it all, it speaks about the day in which God made heaven and earth. So it works for my purposes. Could it be creation day. I mean, can you think of something better than that? Everything possibly within the universe that you think of as great is contained in microcosm on that day. It was God who said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the sons of God, the angelic beings shouted for joy? Surely that counts as a really good day. Or maybe, maybe it's a little bit later when you might call it naming day. You remember in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham. And before that, it was clear that God was getting something ready. But in Abraham, he looks at him and he says, Abram, get up from your land and I want you to go to the land that I will show you. And I will make your name great. We find out in Genesis 17 and in Genesis 22, he says, I will make your name as great as as many children as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. From then on, it meant something to be part of the people of God whose name was the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To have a name when you had no name to be called wanted and chosen before you were unwanted and thought of yourself as unchosen. That is truly a great day. I suppose, though, if you were to ask most early Israelites to name the day like no other, they would think of that day when God parted the Red Sea and it separated them from the slavery of Egypt they had been in for 400 years as they cross over on the other side of the Red Sea, and they sing the song with Miriam of great salvation and rescue. It becomes the basic story that gets told and retold throughout the Psalms, throughout the prophets, when they want to talk about who they are and who God is. They'll say, don't you remember the Exodus when God pulled us and named us redeemed us, sought us, bought us, and kept us. But you know, it's also the case that after the Exodus, even though God had a people, even though God had a name for his people, it wasn't until covenant day, there on the mountain of Sinai, when it became clear what people of God means. Kind of like that deep ceremony day when everything that's already been anticipated, everything was already true in some sense, already living in the house, but on that day it becomes official and clear about what it means to be an adopted son, given full rights and heir to all the things that belong to the Father. And God makes covenant with his people. And he says, I will be your God. You'll be my people. Here's what I expect of you. And here's what I will do for you. And you may look at covenant and say, that's not a good day. In fact, didn't we read somewhere that there's 613 laws in the Old Testament and that people used to look into that and see nothing but burden? And isn't it great we don't have that anymore? I don't know where we get that from. That's not what David thought. That's not what Paul thought. David would say, oh, how I love your law. You know why? Because all the curses listed tell me what to avoid and I know what not to do. 
and all the blessings tell me what to expect and I know what I'm going to receive. He says, I'm wiser than everybody else in my class. I'm wiser than all my teachers for I know God's law. Covenant day, surely that's a great day. Can we top covenant day? We've got creation. We've got naming. We've got Exodus. We've got covenant. Oh, I think I know what you're thinking. There's one day near the end of every year when we see Christ's name on every storefront window. We hear it in the lyrics, even of top 40 songs. Surely it's the day of incarnation, the day when God became man and dwelt among us. Surely it's Christmas day. I mean, isn't there any day that doesn't quite match up to that day? Well, you know that while creation anticipated the coming of our Lord, we also know that even though he lived for us and lived all those years for us and fought for us and he suffered for us, there's also a day in which he died for us. And on the day in which he died, we know that that was the day in which all those prophecies about the suffering servant come true. It was the day like no other day in which the, the, even the New Testament writers talk about concerning this salvation, even the angels desired to look into what this meant. It's why that day has come to be known as Good Friday. Can any day top that? Well, maybe it's the last day. I mean, think about this. It's a day to end all days, right? The day when the last trumpet will shout. 1 Thessalonians 4 describes the scene. And our Lord returns and every wrong is righted. And we get to be with our God forever. As even those saints who have already died rise from the grave to meet the Lord. I mean, how can you top that? How could you top a day in which every eye will see him? I want to suggest for your consideration a day where very few eyes actually saw it. I want you to come with me to the day of resurrection. It's early in the morning on the first day of the week. When some women who had had spices to, to put on a, on a body in a tomb arrive at the tomb, only they find no body there. Instead, they find an angel standing on the right side in the white robe who says, you thought he was here, but he's not here. He's risen. How is it possible that resurrection day could top all those other days? I think it's because. In the resurrection, we can explain, include, and expand on all those other days. Think about creation. It was Tom Wright who first brought to my attention the language in the Gospel of John that takes the story of creation and places it on top of the story of resurrection. You remember the beginning of the gospel of John begins the same way as the beginning of the book of Genesis. In the beginning was God, says Genesis 1.1. But in the beginning was the word, says John 1.1. As the whole story of creation becomes focused on the son of God. In fact, as the light shined in the darkness in Genesis 1, the light who is the true light shined into the darkness, John 1 and verse 5. But the darkness doesn't 
overcome it. He comes into the world and he becomes one of us. It was on Friday, day six, when humans were made, man was made. And in John 19, the only time this phrase is ever used of Jesus, Pilate looks at Jesus and it's on day six that he looks at Jesus and says, behold the man. And on day seven, when God rested from his work, the body of Jesus lay resting in the tomb. And it's on the early morning of the first day of God's new week when God bursts forth from the tomb. And we have the story of creation retold in the story of new creation, all based in the resurrection. John wants to make sure you don't miss this. And so here's Jesus standing outside the tomb, and there's a woman. And she thinks he's the gardener. Why would she think he's the gardener? Because they're in a garden. And Jesus, who represents true man, is trying to explain what it means to see creation anew through the lens of resurrection. And you may remember that in Genesis 2, God takes man and he forms him out of the dust of the ground and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And it's only in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, where Jesus pulls his disciples together. He gives them a commission, a new lease on life. And in order for them to get God's Holy Spirit, the text says he breathes on them. The story of creation is great, but retell the story of creation through the lens of the resurrection and you understand what creation is all about. But what about the naming? Isn't the naming story so great where God has a people and he gives them a name? Oh, yes, Abraham's day was great. But in John 8 and verse 56, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. My day. It remained a small band rooted in ethnicity until Jesus came along. The promise to Abraham was that one day, All the nations of the earth would share in this blessing called naming. The nations shall see your righteousness, Isaiah declares, and all the kings shall see your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And today, there are Jews and Gentiles, slave and free men, wearing the name of Jesus Christ, wearing the name adopted. Chosen, wanted, forgiven because of what was accomplished in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's why in Revelation 2 and in Revelation 3, it's not the language of suffering, it's the language of conquering that talks about the new name and to the church in Pergamum and to the church in Philadelphia. The risen Jesus declares to the one who conquers, I will give a new name. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and my own new name. It's because of the resurrection that Christ can declare all authority has been given to him and then commission us to make disciples of all nations, plunging them into a new community, Father, Son, Spirit, and people in the name of Jesus Christ. What could be greater than the Exodus? 
the story of rescue from our past and redemption from our bondage. You know what? Only a new exodus, the ultimate exodus, the one that rescues us from our sinful past and frees us from our own bondage to sin. This exodus is not only to live an abundant life in the spirit starting today, it includes the promise that our whole selves, soul, spirit, and body will not suffer defeat that's found in this age. For we will rise up and meet the Lord, new bodies, new creation. In fact, leaving this world of decay to touch the face of God is precisely what Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about on the Mount of the Transfiguration. And to make sure you don't miss it, Luke put in a Greek word that's not always clear in all of our translations. I went through Bible Gateway. There's like 50 translations, and I found four that bring out the Greek word here. Do you know what Moses was talking to Jesus about on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9? His exodus. Surely it could include a number of things. He's about to leave the living in his death. Or maybe it's about him leaving earth when he ascends. But doesn't it also at least include him bursting forth from the bonds of death as he exits not just the grave, but death itself? And because of that, you and I are able to make our exodus from the gates that kept us, held us back from ever being able to enter into the presence of God, which were burst on that day when God opened the floodgates. And to make it clear to us, the moment that Jesus died, God ripped the veil of the temple from top to bottom. But you and I can now boldly enter into that throne of grace because our high priest is alive. What about the day of covenant making, the giving of the law? Well, you know the covenant was given by Moses, and it revealed the heights of love in telling us what God's willing to do for us. But we also know, Paul says, that when he looked into the law, we saw our own sin. The law is holy and righteous and good, but I see how broken I am. And that's why Titus 2 says, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from our own lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. I was blameless when it came to righteousness under the law, writes Paul. But I would exchange every bit of it to be found in Jesus Christ, having a righteousness that's not my own, but that which comes through faith. I know it's tempting to think only of the cross as what freed us from the curse of the law. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wants to make it clear that the cross plus the resurrection is what brings about our salvation. And so he uses the language of freeing us from the curse of the law in a resurrection chapter. Once Christ is raised from the dead, because of that, we too will be raised imperishable and immortal. Death will be swallowed up in victory, and we will sing, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? And then he makes this connection. The sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for those that are in the risen body of Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The incarnation, God becoming man, is rightly celebrated in remembering the birth of our Savior. For it was at his birth that Jesus was declared to be God with us. But you remember, it was Matthew who records that line. That at the beginning of the gospel, when God becomes man, it says God with us is his name. But it's because of the resurrection that Christ can say at the end of the gospel, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. We come to Good Friday, the day of crucifixion. There could be no doubt that the cross is the centerpiece of our faith. In the words of Paul, we preach Christ crucified. But that same Paul said, if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain and you are still in your sins. And that's because Romans 1 says, Christ was descended from David according to the flesh, but he was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And finally, we come to the final day, the day to end all days. Christians have nothing to fear upon Christ's return because the resurrection declares death to be defeated. Christians know what to expect on the final day because the resurrection of Christ serves as our first fruits for all human resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is the opening of the seal for God's final day. It's what releases the spirit of God to invade our hearts. It's God's guarantee that our bodies will be made like his glorious body. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Because God raised him from the dead. In the resurrection, we see God's final day declared, prepared, and begun. I like today. For many children across the globe, today is going to be a day full of wonderful surprises. I mean, baskets full of goodies, eggs aplenty, everything imaginable in the shape of a bunny. And I've been looking forward to this. I've got to tell you, my daughter is going to scream like crazy. And I am going to eat all of her chocolate. But today is about something more something much more. Why do you think the church gives so much attention to the resurrection of Jesus? Sometimes you find the greatest truth in the smallest places. I told you I was looking for something to read to my daughter, something to talk about the greatest day ever, something that would speak her language, but speak something so true like the Bible that would be shallow enough for babies to wade, deep enough for whales to swim. You're picturing an ocean, and that's what the Bible is like, and that's what I wanted to do. So I found a children's book, and I'd like to read it to you. It's called God the Father 
and the best day ever. You've heard the Easter story. You know how it goes. Christ died for our sins and on Easter he rose, but there's more to the story that you might not know. What happened above when God triumphed below? To understand that, we must go to the start when God formed creation, his grand work of art. At time's first beginning, God made us a home where we could be with him and happily roam. But when we first sinned, heaven's strong great gates grew shut. Nobody could open them no matter what. And for many long years, people just had to wait. But God had a plan to reopen the gate. He looked on his people and promised with love, I'll join you below, then you'll join me above. He sent his son down the first cold Christmas day, and later his death washed our sins all away. And on the first Easter, all gone was the gloom, for Jesus had conquered the dark, dreary tomb. Remember, for so long the gates that were closed, well, all of that changed just the second Christ rose. Now the gates have been opened so wide, people could come and fill up inside. And God bent down low and with tender embrace, kissed every head and each smiling face. These children he loved and had missed for so long were now his forever. To him, they belonged. This party in heaven continues today. The joy of God's love will not fade away. And you can go too, if you share in his love. Join with the saints up in heaven above, since Jesus rose up and reopened the gates. The promise of paradise for us awaits. That's why we love Easter, since thanks to this day, we can see God in heaven forever to stay. I think that because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, every single day henceforth can be our best day ever. May the glory of the story of the resurrection, the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit, and the story of the resurrected Christ warm your hearts, bring you with mercy to his feet as you ask him for whatever it is that you need or you give your life to him in baptism or you ask for prayers of the congregation to restore your life back to what it ought to be as we reflect on the best day ever. And if you'll give your life to him, I promise today will be a day like no other. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.